This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Coordinator in the Journals Division. The health history of Abraham Lincoln is the subject of many research articles. The ailments of his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, have received much less scrutiny. In the most recent issue of Perspectives in Biology and Medicine, John G. Sotos changes that in his essay, What an Affliction. His research concludes that Mary suffered from pernicious anemia, answering many questions about her physical appearance and mental state. Sotos joined us to talk about his paper. Thanks for joining me today, John. Tell me, how did your research into Mary Todd Lincoln come about? It really came about in a series of layers, almost. The first layer is that about 15 years ago, I got interested in the medical history of American presidents. The second Mm -hmm. layer is about five, six years after that, I got interested in the history of Abraham Lincoln, his medical history specifically. Mm -hmm. And... Then the third and topmost layer was in 2012, uh, I got interested in Mary. And so the crosstalk between those two later layers is that with Abraham Lincoln, the issue is what made him so tall and unusual looking with the long arms, long legs, sunken chest, flat feet, the mole on his face, and so on. And the literature had suggested uh, quite strongly that there was a genetic disease involved. So when you look at how one might diagnose somebody in that situation, you also have to look at the family members for clues to the diagnosis as well. So I had to look at Lincoln's sons. And when you look at Lincoln's sons, the most interesting one is his fourth son, uh, Tad. And Tad was an unusual boy with some unusual behaviors. And just to be thorough, I had to make sure that Tad hadn't in- inherited something from his mother who might have caused those unusual behaviors, right, inherited right. genetically, that is. And so uh, I did investigate Mary Lincoln back in the 2007 or 8 time frame and made a reasonable introduction into her medical history, but not as deep as it could have been. So uh, I really put her aside once I satisfied myself that she hadn't passed anything to Tad. And it was only merely by happenstance in 2012 that I happened to read a very interesting sentence in a book which said that Mary Lincoln, while nursing her third son, developed a case of sore mouth, nursing sore mouth it was Hmm. called. And I had never heard of this, and it seemed unusual, so I thought it was something worth tracking down. And that's how it started. And so that's funny that you mentioned that because when I saw that term in your article, I also went to look it up because I had never heard of it as well. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) Well, it's a very interesting condition in the sense that it appeared that it was quite common in the frontier of America back in the 1850s or or a little bit earlier. Uh, But the last reference to it under that name in the literature is about 1909. And thereafter, it seems to have just disappeared. There's hmm. a, an 1,100-page textbook of lactation uh, that's out now, 
and it's not mentioned at all in there. But you can still find a couple case reports in the modern medical literature, but that term is not used. Tell me a little bit about what pernicious anemia does to people. It does lots and lots of things. Um, one of the earliest symptoms it does is cause a sore mouth and sore tongue. And that was, of course, the tip off for me recognizing the possibility of the disease in Mary Lincoln. And the reason it does that is, is um, pernicious anemia and its uh, intricate relationship with vitamin B12 um, affects the synthesis of DNA. Pernicious anemia is a disease of vitamin B12 deficiency. There are a lot of different ways to get vitamin B12 deficient. One of those specific ways is called pernicious anemia. And so without B12, vitamin B12, the mm -hmm. body has trouble making DNA. And that comes out in an organ like the tongue where the cells on the surface of the tongue have to be refreshed every few days. And so there's a lot of cell division and there's a lot of demand for B12 and, and DNA. And so the, the turnover in, in the outer membranes of the tongue doesn't go so well and it gets sore as a result. Okay. From a historical perspective, that's uh, not that interesting. Things really get interesting when pernicious anemia starts to affect the brain. And that can happen very early in the disease. And no one is yet quite sure how, on a molecular level, this happens. It seems, though, that vitamin B12 might be wrapped up in making certain neurotransmitters. But essentially, uh, there's a slow drift in the way, um, in people's personality at first. And the most common personality feature is to become irritable. And pernicious anemia patients in the old days were sort of notorious for being irritable, uh, easily irritable, I should say. Many physicians would comment on, on what lovely people they were, but there was this irritability streak. Mm -hmm. And this uh, progresses over time, but then in the later stages, it starts to go beyond just mere irritability to more serious psychiatric dysfunctions. And in fact, all of the major psychiatric syndromes that um, you can name are reported with some frequency in pernicious anemia. So this is anxiety and depression and bipolar illness and you know progressing to frank psychosis like hallucinations and paranoia and in advanced cases the hallucinations are even uh, about the person's physical body sensations of tearing or drilling and so forth are prominent features and mary lincoln had all this mm -hmm. so in mary's case it's um you know a lot what the public chiefly knows about her medical history is she went crazy in later years Right. And that she had to be psychiatrically institutionalized that got so severe. And all of this fits perfectly with the tempo of pernicious anemia and the specific psychiatric features of pernicious anemia that are common. So then, you know, fast forward to this article and, and your research into Mary. How did this go undiagnosed for so long? Obviously, you, you weren't the only one who's looked into this, I'm sure, with the just breadth of research on Lincoln. 
That's right. There haven't been a ton of physicians who have uh, looked at Mary Lincoln with a medical eye, but there have been three or four over the years. I think it was really a combination of uh, coincidences that let the diagnosis go unsuggested for so long. The first one was that Mary lived in an era before pernicious anemia was understood by the medical profession in any kind of detail at all. Right. There had been you know, a few case reports described during her lifetime, but uh, the bulk of them were autopsy reports. And the thing about pernicious anemia is that it affects so many different organs that it took medical science decades to piece together the fact that this manifestation in this organ was the same disease process as this other manifestation in this other organ. So that process really didn't get started until just the last couple years of her life, and it didn't finish until about 30 years after she died. So then you could ask, well, if by 1910 or 1920 the disease was understood so well, why didn't anyone suggest the disease back then? Mm -hmm. uh, and the answer for that, I think, is that, first of all, information about Mary Lincoln's life in detail was pretty hard to get uh, until about 1975. Okay. And the second is that the disease radically changed in about in, in the late 1920s because there was this fantastic discovery from Harvard that eating liver would cure pernicious anemia in, in 1926. And as a result, the disease radically changed. It was no longer this universally fatal, terrible, progressive disease. It became very easy to treat. It was treated at an earlier stage. And so it never advanced to the serious degree that Mary Lincoln had it. So the disease almost became extinct by about the 1930s, 1940s. Wow. And so, you know, when I was a resident in medicine, yeah, we used to think about pernicious anemia in our patients, but it was uh, mostly in the um, severely alcoholic who didn't have a good diet mm -hmm. or in the elderly who couldn't afford a good diet either. And uh, the, the very advanced disease of the 1900, early 1900s just didn't exist. So the combination of medicine not knowing in the early days and then the disease changing in the later days, I think, is the reason that it went unsuggested for so long. What makes this so fascinating, this history of the medical lives of presidents and their families? What really has drawn you to this? It, I mean, obviously, when you talk about Mary and, and things like this, it becomes clear why it is. But how did you kind of get into it and start to really delve into the topic? Oh, I was just taken with what I call the Cleopatra's nose phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And there was an old philosopher who said, how would the history of the world have been different if Cleopatra had had an ugly nose? You know, when you look at James Garfield, who was shot in 1881 and who was really killed by his doctors, mm -hmm. how would American history have been different if he had been treated just a little bit differently? Right. And the same with William McKinley. And it was only because McKinley died that Roosevelt became president, Theodore Roosevelt became president in 1901. And 
you know, we all know what a, a powerful effect uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, had on American history in that era. Right. So it's it's these very small kind of hinges that uh, are, are very interesting to contemplate. And if you want to think about how that might work out in this case, it's really interesting because there were a lot of people who knew Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, very well and said that Mary Lincoln was an essential part of his rise to the presidency. Mm -hmm. But the way they say she was an essential part is that she was so unpleasant at home that it forced Lincoln to stay out in the world among people and to learn about people to a greater degree than he otherwise would have. That Lincoln was uh, would have been very well suited to a happy domestic life, but she made that impossible. So he became a better politician, more in touch with the populace as a result of, of her unpleasantness at home. And of course, the unpleasantness was a direct result of, of pernicious anemia. Right. You already kind of touched on this. What kind of difficulties did you have finding information? You said it was 1975 or so before there was a lot of information about her. Even in this digital age, how hard is it to, to get the resources that you need to, to kind of put the, the whole piece together? Yeah, well, there are two arms to that. So first is information about her, and then information is about, about the disease, and I'll explain that in a second. But information about her is pretty easy to get now. It's it's a wonderful thing, the digital age. For one thing, you can go on eBay and, and or Amazon or other places and get uh, out-of-print books very easily. Oh, yeah. So the definitive collection of her letters was published in about 1976, and that book is out of print, but it's a trivial matter to get that book for a few dollars. And then the Internet Archive and Google have um, pre-1923 uh, publications widely available online, so that's a wonderful thing as well. But the real difficulty was in getting the medical literature about pernicious anemia. And the reason for that, as I mentioned, is that the disease changed significantly after the 1920s. So the literature today doesn't have a lot about the signs and symptoms of very advanced disease. Right. All that literature is back in the 1920s and 1910s. And that's hard to find. So again, a lot of that has been digitized, but a lot of it is behind paywalls. So um, fortunately, uh, I had an academic appointment at the University of North Carolina, which allowed me to get behind the paywalls and retrieve a couple hundred articles right. about this old form of pernicious anemia, which would have been prohibitively expensive if I hadn't had the academic access. Right, right. Um, you had used in your article pictures of her comparing throughout the years. How helpful was that to really be able to visualize it for people? That was uh, less helpful um, than it had been, say, with her husband, Abraham Lincoln, and analyzing his medical issues. With Mary, the pictures were a nice confirmation <laughs> of what the story in print uh, told. Right. And it wasn't as clear initially 
what features in her pictures would be the most helpful. That sort of emerged only after I learned more about this uh, advanced form of pernicious anemia that had been um, common in her time. What parts in your research kind of surprised you as you were, you know, you as you were discovering things? What was that kind of an aha moment? Well, the first aha moment was pretty early when that nursing sore mouth turned out to be the key that unlocked everything. Right. I had known that some B vitamin deficiencies cause a sore mouth, but, you know, I just wasn't smart enough uh, in the first few minutes to put it together with B12. But once that came out after some internet searches, that was a huge aha, because the major features of the illness uh, just fell into place at that point. The second aha was, as I learned more about pernicious anemia and the way the body processes vitamin B12. And the thing about pernicious anemia is it's an autoimmune attack on the stomach. And the stomach makes a chemical that the body requires to absorb vitamin B12 from the diet. And this turns out to be just a a really intricate mechanism for the body to absorb B12. And I've only hinted at some of the complexity And it's just a beautiful thing to see how that operates under normal circumstances and to see how eating large quantities of liver can be used to get around the defect of pernicious anemia and treat somebody. So I was really taken with the elegance of this natural function and with the the very wide set of manifestations that pulmonary edema has in somebody who gets sick. And then the third aha was just seeing the way even the little uh, minor manifestations of pernicious anemia lined up with what Mary had. Things like premature graying of her hair Mm -hmm. or things like the, the fluid that would build up in people and then would Uh, leave people rather quickly once the disease entered a remission. And that's a a chief characteristic of the disease is that they would have relapses and remissions. So it's a a beautiful thing when everything comes together. Right, exactly. Um, When that does come together, when, when you're getting to that point, what made Perspectives a good home for this paper? Well, the wonderful thing about Perspectives is that it allows a conversation at this interface between science and the humanities. Mm -hmm. So there are not a lot of journals that do that. Yeah, there are humanity journals and there are science journals. And, you know, a lot of them will entertain uh, articles that stray into the other's territory, but not really in-depth articles, you know. Right. They're willing to publish, you know, a couple pages or something like that. But... When you're looking at the medical history of somebody who lived for 60 years, and when you're looking at a disorder like pernicious anemia, which has so many different manifestations, to tell that story in a couple pages is, it's possible, but the richness of the story just isn't transmitted. And so with the larger article size that um, Perspectives allows, 
you can really uh, go into that and, and hopefully the reader will share some of that feeling that I just talked about where all these features, both major and minor, uh, do fall into place in a line and that way you really get the, the power of pernicious anemia as a hypothesis to explain the pretty remarkable life that, that Mary Lincoln had, left, had led and, and explain it in a fair amount of detail. Thank you for joining me today, John. This is really fascinating, and we're glad Perspectives could be a great home for this. And we hope to keep learning more about Mary Lincoln and uh, more presidential families. It's been nice talking with you. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.